Praise the Lord. All right, let's get into the word, amen? So I've, I've been really feeling, you know, over the last uh, couple of, well, year and a half now with everything going on with COVID and everything like that, there's been just a stirring inside my soul to, to start preaching faith again. So I'm going to preach part of a message I've, I've probably shared here before. It's actually going to be quite a bit different uh, even since then. But my heart has been stirred for the preaching of faith again. We need faith in the American church like never before. And it is faith that grounds us. It's faith that we, it's faith in our Lord. It's faith in his promises that allow us to function like normal human beings in the situation that we're in, in some of the craziest things that we're in. You know, when, when COVID happened, I couldn't believe what was happening in the church as, as a whole, not speaking of this church, just as a whole. I was so surprised because we go to very dangerous places. So for the last several years, we've been ministering mostly in the nation of Pakistan, which is 97% Muslim. It's less than 2% Christianity. And most Christian websites have Pakistan listed as one of the top five most persecuted countries on the planet for Christians to live in. And so it's right up there. It's actually ahead of Iraq on most websites. It's, a, it's ahead of Iran on some websites. Uh, it's way up there as one of the most persecuted countries. And for the, I've been now 12 times to the nation of Pakistan. The first probably eight times I went, every time I went, there was either a suicide bombing, an attack, uh, an attack against the church, militants going into the church and, and spraying, you know, machine gun bullets uh, through churches, Christians' houses being burnt down. The first like eight times I went there, these type of things were either happening the week before I went, while I was there, or a week after I left. I mean, it was the craziest thing. And so I learned very quickly that if you're going to go do something like that, number one, you better have some faith, amen? Or you're not going to make it very far at all. And so God has us on this journey of faith, and I believe tonight, and, and I believe this is a message that God is giving me for America, for the church of America, that we should rise up in faith right now, in Jesus' name, like but never before. We have the answer to the problems in this world. The politicians don't have the answer. The, the, the pharmacists don't have the answer. Oh, oh, and, and no knock against any of those people. But my friends, Jesus is the answer to this world's problems. Amen? I said it a long time ago when we started going there. ISIS was still a big thing. You remember ISIS? We, put, we don't even talk about them anymore. But ISIS was like a big deal when we first started going to Pakistan. And I remember thinking to myself, the greatest threat is against the church in America, or the church in the world, is not ISIS. The greatest threat in the world right now is not a pandemic. It's not COVID. The greatest threat to the world right now is lukewarm Christianity. 
That's the greatest threat to the world right now. This world needs the church of Jesus Christ, and it doesn't need a lukewarm church. It needs an on-fire, Holy Ghost-filled, faith-filled people that will, that will be used of God to see this world turned upside down in Jesus' name. Amen. We need a book of Acts church once again. Amen. Hallelujah. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew. If you haven't figured it out yet, I'm about to explode. I'm very, very excited about tonight, about this message, and about what God is doing. And so, for those of you viewing at home, I'm going to try to stay within the screen but I can't guarantee anything. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to begin reading in verse 22. This is the story of Jesus walking on the water. The Bible says in verse 22, Matthew chapter 14, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening had come, he was alone there. But when the boat was in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost! I looked up and now I lost my spot. There it is. And they cried out for fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered and said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And Jesus said one word, he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out and he said, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said to him, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased and those who were in the boat came and they worshipped Jesus. Say they worshipped Jesus. They worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So the title of my message tonight is Supernatural Faith. When I think about great faith, I always think about Peter. When I think about how do we have faith, how do we operate in a level of faith with all the chaos going around, with all the storm of life that's been happening over the last year, uh, over a year now, with all of this storm happening around us, how do we have supernatural faith, faith that supersedes the natural realm in this time. And when I think about that, I think about Peter. Because here Peter was. He was in a boat with his friends, Jesus' other disciples. A storm was happening. Jesus wasn't in the boat. He was up praying on the mountainside. And they were in the middle of a terrible storm. Does it sound familiar? We're, we've been in the middle of a storm. I believe we're starting to come out, but there's still waves 
rippling. So they were in the middle of a storm, and all of a sudden, they see Jesus, they thought it was a ghost, walking on top of the water. And when they saw Jesus, they began to be afraid because they weren't sure who it was. And Jesus says to them, don't be afraid, it's me, Jesus. Don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter says to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. Peter steps out. Jesus says one word. He says, come. Peter steps out of the boat and begins walking on the water to Jesus. And so if we're going to have this type of faith, if we're going to have supernatural faith, there's a few things that we have to understand if we're going to operate the way that the Lord wants us to. If we're going to operate as the book of Acts type of church, there's a few things I want to draw out from this story that I believe are going to help us to begin to move into the direction of supernatural faith in God. Number one, faith starts with Jesus. All faith starts with Jesus. You see in the Bible here in verse 28, the Bible says that Peter said, Lord, if it's you, if it's you, Jesus, I can do anything. Lord, if it's you out there on the water, if, you, if that's you, I can do anything. I can come to you. Faith starts with Jesus and faith ends with Jesus. The Hebrews 12.2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith. When you are in the storm of life, my friends, you've got to look to Jesus. You can't look to the politicians you can't look to the news channels. Matter of fact, I turned the news off a long time ago. I don't even watch that garbage anymore. I put my faith in Jesus, amen? I put my faith in his word. Because all of it is all fear, it's a lot of propaganda, and it's all being used to suck you back in to watch it tomorrow night, and to watch it the next night, and the next night, and the next night. That's what fear does. It grips your heart, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, what are they going to do? What's going to happen? So they use fear to suck you back in to the message. Not everybody does that, but that's kind of the main overarching. That's why you don't hear good news on the news. It's all bad news. Very, very, few, uh, very few times do you ever hear good news when you turn on the news. And so I would rather put my faith in the good news, amen, the good news of the gospel. And so you have to understand faith starts with Jesus, you have to begin to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to have supernatural faith, maybe you come in here and you're weary. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you come in here and you're feeling like overwhelmed by everything. Maybe it's just been a really tough year. My friends, number one thing you need to do is put your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes on the Lord. He is the answer. He is the peace in the storm. He is the answer in the storm. He is your way out of the storm. He is your comfort in the storm. He'll even rescue you if you don't have faith in the storm. Jesus is your answer. As I mentioned earlier, 2006, my life was a mess. I was away from God. I knew all about the Lord, but I was running from him because I loved my sin more than I loved the Lord at that time. And there came a moment where I knew, man, I don't know. If I died today, I don't know if I'd go to heaven. 
And there came a moment where I knew if I'm going to live, I might as well live all, all in for God. If I'm going to live, I, I, I tried living for myself for years and it got me nowhere. There came a moment where I had to say yes to Jesus. I said, I'll never forget it. I was in my car all by myself. I'll share the whole testimony tomorrow. It's really long. It's pretty amazing what God did. But there came a moment where I, sitting, I was sitting in my car and I had this revelation. I've lived my whole life for me and it's gotten me nowhere. I might as well just give it all to Jesus. I might as well just give everything to Jesus. Maybe you're in here tonight and you've even been contemplating suicide. Suicide rates are up like never before in America. Like never before. We just did a crusade in Orlando a, a few months ago, back in November. We did a, a big crusade in Orlando, had about 1,300 people there. Over 470 people got saved. It was amazing, and most of the people that came were from a very poor community. And so I was talking about suicide every night. And every single night we had people that came into the altars that got saved and said, I've been contemplating suicide. As a matter of fact, one woman came the first night of the crusade. She actually wrote a text message. She showed it to my team. She wrote a text message that morning saying, I'm done with life. She wrote it to her family. I'm done with life. I'm going to end my life. It's not worth living. That day she got an invite to the crusade. She came that night, and I told her what I'm going to tell you. If you want to throw your life away, if you want to end your life, if you're, if you're tired of life and you just want to throw it away, why don't you throw it to Jesus? Why don't you just give it to him? Let him take your rotten life. Let him take that, that painful, beat-up life. Let him take that life and make it brand new. And the Bible says, if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. The old passes away. Behold, all things become new. You've got to turn to Jesus. Amen? So faith starts with Jesus, and it ends with Jesus. Number two, if we're going to begin to operate in the supernatural faith that God has for us, we have to understand that faith stands on God's word. Faith stands on the word of God. You can't put your faith in your emotions you can't put your faith in your feelings. You can't put your faith in your situation. All of those things can be manipulated. Your feelings could be twisted. They might not line up with the Word of God. Your emotions might be twisted and not line up with the Word of God. Some people, they get upset with their spouse and they're like, that's it, I'm done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divorce you. Some people put their faith in their feelings, then faith in their emotions rather than in the Holy Word of God. Amen. So you have to put your faith in the word. What does the word say about divorce? Some people are going through situations where, like they said, they, they want to end their life. Well, the Bible tells us that God doesn't want anyone to end their life. He gave his life so that we could have a new life. Amen? So you can't put your faith in your situation. You can't put your faith in your feelings. You have to put your faith in the word of God. Faith in the word of God. Peter was out there on the water, and the Bible tells us that when he realized it was Jesus, he said, Lord, if that's you, call to me to come out to you on the water. Jesus said one word, come. And on that one word, Peter took his size 13. I imagine he is the same size as me. He took his big size 13, stretched it out over the boat, and began walking on the water. But the Lord showed me something a long time ago. Peter wasn't walking on the water. Oh, yeah, his foot was wet. 
He was standing on top of water. But what was, he, what was he standing on? You see, Peter knew. He was a fisherman. He'd been on that, on that sea a thousand times before. He knew no one can walk on water. It's impossible. But he said, if that's Jesus, I can stand on his word. I can stand on the word. I can't walk on water, but I can walk on the word of God. I can stand on the word of God. His word is a firm foundation. And so with every step Peter took, he heard that word, come, ringing in his ears from Jesus. Come, come, come. And Peter walked out, beginning to walk on the water. My friends, when you are in the storms of life, you've got to first turn to Jesus, but then second, put your faith in his word. Stand on the word of the Lord. I love what uh, evangelist Ron, Rodney Howard Brown says. Faith is believing in the integrity of the one who promised. Faith is believing in the integrity of the one who promised. You see, the Bible tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so what that means is faith is, having in, is, is putting your faith in something that's integral from the one who promised it. Imagine you have a child and that child is asking you for a cookie. And you said, okay, I'll give you a cookie after you eat all your food. But then all of a sudden you don't give them the cookie. What's going to happen? Excuse me. Uh, you promised me a cookie. And a good father, a good mother would be, oh, that's right. I did. And yes, you ate all your food. I'm going to give you a cookie. Why does that child believe that that parent is going to do that? Because they know that they can have integrity. They know that their parent is a parent of integrity. That when your parent says, oh, yes, I'm going to do this, they're going to do it. Amen. Tonight I have my parents here, Gary and Ginny Michelson are in the back. And when, yeah, praise the Lord. And I'll tell you, when I grew up, if they said they were going to do something, they did it. You see, they had integrity. A lot of times we don't have integrity in America anymore. We say all kinds of stuff that we don't mean. We say things that we don't do. But, but God does what he says he's going to do. His word is integral. And so we can put our faith in his word. We don't put our faith in our feelings. We don't put our faith in our situation. A lot of times people will put their faith in their situation. Well, I had a bad experience in the past with church, so I don't go to church anymore. I had a bad experience. I prayed for people. I prayed and prayed and prayed for somebody to be healed, and they didn't get healed. And so I'm, an, I'm done praying for people to be healed. Well, my friends, I believe the word more than I, feel, than I believe my experience. Amen? I don't care what my experience looks like. I believe the word of God. Because your life and my life and our reality came into existence by the word of God. You see, the word of God is more real than your reality. Your reality was created by the word of God. In the beginning, the Bible says, God created the heavens and the earth. What did he do when he created the heavens and the earth? Did he get out a saw and start sawing and pounding nails and building the earth? No, he spoke. He spoke the word. He said, let there be light. Poof, there was light. He said, let the earth take form, and poof, 
the earth takes form. He said, let the land and the sea be separated. And it all obeyed his word. His word created your reality. So this word, the word of God, is more real than your reality because your reality came from his word in the first place. So I put my faith in his word more than I put my faith in my experience. I put my faith in his word more than I put my faith in what's going on around me. Peter knew he was in a storm of life. There was waves crashing. It didn't make sense. Why would you get out of a perfectly good boat and walk in the middle of a storm on the sea? Because he believed the words of Jesus. He believed the word of God. And when he did, he started walking on the water. I love what Smith Wigglesworth used to say. He was one of the great healing evangelists of uh, the early 1900s. He said, I'm not moved by what I see or how I feel. I'm only moved by that which I believe, the word of God. I'm not moved by what I see or how I feel. I'm only moved by that which I believe, the word of God. I'll never forget my first trip to Pakistan. 2005, we started our ministry. We started doing gospel crusades in India. Then we, uh, a door opened to go to Sri Lanka. And our heart has always been, let's go to the most unreached places on the planet. And so we were going, I mean, up into the mountains of Sri Lanka, in villages that were literally 0% Christian. We planted the first churches in those villages from our gospel crusade that are still going and thriving to this day. I mean, our heart has always been the unreached parts of the world. Well, a friend of mine, my friend Paul, he was doing his very first crusade. He'd never done one before. So he was going to the nation of Pakistan. So he said, Chris, um, I can't find anyone who's willing to go with me to Pakistan. I said, what was your first clue? Why would anyone want to go with you to Pakistan? For those of you that don't know, um, after 2011... Our U.S. Navy SEALs flew into Pakistan to kill Osama bin Laden because he was living in the capital of Islamabad. So now you kind of understand. I could say a lot more, but we're online. But you can understand kind of the situation in Pakistan. So I was like, no way, bro. I don't want to go to Pakistan. So he, he kept asking different people, and he was trying to find people to go with him. He couldn't find anyone. He's like, bro, please come with. You know, uh, we can minister together in the churches. We'll do some pastor's conferences. We'll train pastors. I'm like, look, that's all great. That's awesome, but I am not going to Pakistan. So he asked me four times. He's very persistent, amen. Faith is also persistent, Amen. So he asked me four times, and finally on the fourth time, I got wise. I thought, you know what, I know what to say that will get him to stop asking me to go with to Pakistan. I said, I'll pray about it. Because I was convinced that God would say no, and then when I, when I tell him, hey, listen, sorry, I can't go with, God said, don't go to Pakistan. I'll just blame it on God. And, you know, sorry, bro, take it up with him. He's the one who said no, not my fault. So I was convinced this is my perfect way out of this situation. Because, I mean, I didn't want to go. I don't like to go to places unless I know that God is calling me to go there, especially when you might lose your life going to those places. And so he asked me to go with him to Pakistan. The fourth time, I said, I'll pray about it. And uh, I, I prayed about it immediately. And that's another thing. You know, a lot of times we say, well, I'll pray for you. And then we never do. 
I actually do. If I say I'm going to pray for something, if I say I'm going to pray for you, I actually do it. And so I said, I'll pray about it. And as soon as I prayed about it, I heard a resounding, go to Pakistan in my spirit. And I thought, oh, Lord, you have a funny way of getting people to do what, you don't, what they don't want to do. Amen. And so I said yes to the Lord. I told Paul. I told my wife. And uh, I went to Pakistan. Now, I'll never forget we got there. We ministered to over 1,000 pastors, local leaders. And then it came time to go to the crusade that he was doing. And I remember, you know, when we got to the crusade, there were several thousand people there on the field. Now, normally in, in a nation like that, you make sure to hire security guards to provide security for you. And you make sure that you put the getaway car right by the stage so you can get out of Dodge real fast. And so uh, we hired a local security team, but because we didn't have any money and because Pakistan is a 97% Muslim country, there's no Christian security companies in Pakistan. And we didn't have much money, so we hired the cheapest security company we could afford. They didn't even have uniforms. And the thought went through my mind when we got to the crusade, all I know, the only reason I know somebody is part of our security team is because they're carrying an AK-47. I mean, some other random guy could walk up carrying an AK-47. I would have no idea if he's part of security or not. And so all of a sudden, I started having these ideas. Oh, my God, I might die going to Pakistan. And then I started realizing, like, okay, Lord, uh, what are we going to do? And I started worrying about, oh, uh, you know, I might die, you know, all of these different things going through your mind. And, you know, you're thinking to yourself, well, what if somebody comes who's not a part of the security and they want to just come and take you out? I've heard stories of that happening before. And so all these story, thoughts start going through my mind. And, um, and then I thought, and I had the realization of, well, if our security team's not even Christian and one of them is radicalized, which is possible, I mean, even though I'm hiring them and paying them to provide security for me, they might take me out anyway, you know. So I don't even know if I'm really safe. And so then we arrived to the crusade, and instead of putting the getaway car by the stage, there was no way to put the getaway car by the stage. So we had to park the car in the back of the field and walk down the center aisle of the field through thousands of people to get to the stage. And I remember thinking, this is crazy. So we walk, and, and imagine the stage is on that side now. The stage is down there. We get to the field. There's probably six, seven, eight thousand people on the field. Uh, music is playing. People are dancing and clapping, and all of that's going on. And I'm walking down the center aisle, walking through this crowd of people. I look at the stage on the horizon, and behind the stage is a brick building with a flat roof on top of it. And as I'm getting closer, I see a guy on top of the building who is is dressed like more of a radicalized person. He's got a turban on his head, a giant beard like the Taliban a gun lifted up in the air and he's dancing and I'm walking toward him and I thought oh Lord I might die what am I going to do and I'll tell you in that moment fear gripped my heart like I've never felt in my whole life maybe some of you have felt fear like that this, this, this last year fear gripped my heart like never before in that moment I thought I might die here today 
And all of a sudden, my friend Paul is standing right next to me. And he goes, hey, bro, you see that up there? I said, yeah, dude, I see that up there. He goes, this might be how we go down, bro. I was like, yeah, bro, <laughs> this might be the end of Paul and Chris. <laughs> and fear gripped my heart. It was like paralyzing fear. And all of a sudden, in the middle of that fear, in the middle of the most intense fear of my entire life, crippling, paralyzing fear, I started remembering the word of God. I started quoting the word of God. It just started coming up out of me. I said today, I will live and I will not die and I will declare the works of the Lord. I said greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. I started quoting the scriptures. I said no, no matter if a thousand fall at my side and ten thousand fall at my right hand, it will not come near me in the name of Jesus. And as I began quoting the word of God, all of a sudden my faith started to arise and that fear lifted off of me and I've never felt fear again in my entire life like that in Pakistan. Yeah, come on, give God praise. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So when you're in a storm of life, you don't put your faith in your situation. You don't put your faith in other people. You don't put your faith in anything else except the word of God. That's why I started quoting Psalm 91 when the beginning of this pandemic started happening. And I started standing on, the, on Psalm 91. No, no plague will come near me or near my dwelling in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. No, no matter what happens, I'm putting my faith in the word of God. If you believe that, say amen. Hallelujah. Number three, if we're going to stand in the word, if we're going to stand in incredible faith, supernatural faith, we have to say no to fear and doubt. If you're, going to, if you're going to walk in supernatural faith, you have to say no to fear and doubt. The Bible says here in verses 30 and 31, Jesus tells Peter, he says, Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? You see, what happened was Peter was walking on the water, and all of a sudden he got his eyes off of the Lord Jesus. He got his eyes off of the promise. He got his, his, his mind off of the word, and he started looking at the waves on the sea. He started looking at those waves that were coming in on him. And all of a sudden in that moment, he got his eyes off of the Lord, his, his mind off of the word. And he started to sink. And he cried out. He said, Lord, save me. Jesus stretched out his hand, caught Peter, lifted him up. And he said to him, oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? A lot of times we think that the amount of faith that we have is the problem. Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? But you see, the reality is Peter's lack of faith or his faith wasn't dependent upon the size of faith that he had. A lot of times we say, well, I don't have enough faith. I don't have enough faith for this. I don't have enough faith for that. The reality is the Bible tells you you've already been given a measure of faith. Everybody is given faith. Everyone is given a measure of faith. And Jesus said that even if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, the smallest amount of faith, you can say to that mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and it has to obey you. 
So you've already been given faith. You've already been given a small measure of faith. And even the smallest measure of faith is enough faith for you to do great things. So what's the problem? The problem is the doubt. He said, oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? He wasn't rebuking him for having little faith. He was rebuking him for doubting. He said, you already have enough faith, even though it's little, even though it's small. You've got enough. But why did you doubt? You see, my friends, the greatest enemy to faith is fear and doubt. The greatest enemy to faith is fear and doubt. So we start fearing. We start doubting. Evangelist Reiner Bonnke used to say that if faith is, um, let me just read it so I get it right. He said, if uh, faith is not a step into the dark, but it's a leap into the light. Faith is not a step into the darkness. It's a leap into the light. When you know God's word, when you're in a storm, when you're in a bad situation, faith is not a step into darkness. No, my friends, faith is a leap into the light. I know what my Bible says. I know what the word of God says. I know the promises of God. His promises are yes. His promises are amen. And I'm going to stand on his word in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Bill Johnson used to say, he said it a long time ago, faith doesn't deny a problem's existence. It denies it a place of influence. Faith doesn't deny a problem's existence. It denies it a place of influence. You see, that's important because a lot of times we go through life as faith people and we say, well, I know that there's this problem, but I'm just going to act like there's no problem. I know that this is going on in my life, but no, no, no. I'm just going to, la, la, la. I'm going to believe that it's not happening. But that's not what God's word says. We don't just deny a problem's existence, but faith says, I'm not going to give that problem influence in my life. You see, you have the opportunity when you're faced with a storm. And the Bible does not tell us that we're going to be exempt from storms. Actually, Jesus said you'll face persecutions. You'll go through storms. But the Bible says even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil. Amen? Hallelujah. That doesn't mean you won't walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But when you're walking through it, you put your eyes on the Lord. You put your your faith in his word. And you say no to fear and doubt in the name of Jesus. I don't care what the situation looks like. I don't care what's going on in my life. I'm believing I'm going to get the victory in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let me try this out over here. When you're going through a storm in life, you put your faith and you believe you're going to get the victory in Jesus' name. Okay, I like that congregation better this time. This morning it was this congregation over here that was more lively. Praise the Lord. So you have to say no to fear and doubt. Number four, faith trusts in the Lord. Faith trusts in the Lord. I often say faith is spelled T-R-U-S-T. Trust. You trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, but in all things acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Trust in the Lord. And so when we were, we were going to, we went to Pakistan in November to do a crusade. As a matter of fact, we just got back uh, on Monday from Pakistan. We did another crusade in Pakistan on Mon- uh, last weekend, and we saw over 82,000 people receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. In Pakistan last weekend. Yeah, come on, give God praise. 
we were able to go in November. That was the first trip since COVID happened. So I remember when we went to Pakistan, we started hearing, you know, horror stories of what it was like because, you know, they have all these regulations. You have to get tested, you know, and you have to do all these tests and get negative tests to go to Pakistan, get negative tests to come back. And so, you know, it's not a big deal to do stuff here in America because we have, like, actually really good regulations in our clinics. Amen. But I started thinking about getting tested in Pakistan where they don't have regulations. And I started having all these Freddy Cougar visions of what the clinic might look like, you know? All these horror visions in my mind of what it's going to look like getting tested in Pakistan. And then our crusade director's wife said, yes, when we got tested in Pakistan, the, 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 uh, the test thing that they put in your nose, it didn't even have cotton on the end. It was just a piece of plastic that they shoved up into your brain. I thought, oh my Lord, what are we getting ourselves into? And so fear, you know, starts to dig in, right? And in that moment, you have to choose, am I going to allow fear to dictate me or am I going to trust in the Lord? And so fear started coming in, and Amanda and I started talking about this, and what is it going to be like, and oh my goodness, this is kind of crazy, and what, you know, are are we going to get hurt, and all this stuff, and I said, no, we're going to trust the Lord. We are going to trust that God is going to make a way where there seems to be no way, amen? And so we went, we got tested here, negative, went to Pakistan, did a crusade, it was amazing. We saw over 160,000 people get saved in that crusade, it was awesome. And then we went and got tested to come home, we got to the clinic, and my horrors about what I thought it would look like were coming true. We're walking into this clinic, and I mean, we're having to go up a staircase that's like this wide, and it's dirty, and it's nasty, and there, I mean, it hasn't been swept in, swept in probably years, and you know, we walk into this really small clinic, and as a matter of fact, the clinic we went in this last time, I mean, you could literally fit like in a square like this. That was the size of the clinic, and then to get tested, we actually walked outside into the alley and sat in a plastic chair. I mean, it was like really high-tech stuff, you know? And so be thankful that we have good regulations in America, amen? Some of the regulations are good anyway. So anyway, we, uh, we go to get tested. We, f- we, we fill out the paperwork in the lobby. And the, doctors, uh, the, the doctor in the clinic says, okay, you can go around the corner, and the doctor will test you around the corner. So we walk around the corner, and as soon as we walk around the corner, the doctor sees me. He's a young man, probably in his early 20s. He probably just graduated from medical school. He sees me, and he goes, evangelist, I would be so honored to test you. He recognized me because we're on TV in almost every single home in the country. He happened to be a Christian, He happened to have a test kit with a cotton swab on the end. And he goes, by the way, we won't shove it way in your brain. We'll just put it right here in the front. (laughs) Hallelujah. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. I about, you know, started having a little praise break right there in the clinic. I mean, it was awesome. That's what happens when you trust the Lord. Amen. You allow your fear to take control of you, and all of a sudden you'll be in torment. All of a sudden, we could have been like, no, no, it's too much. We're not going to go. 
We're not going to do it. We're, you know, that's too much. That's crazy. You know, getting a plastic shoved up in your brain. Like, we could get hurt with this and that. We could have said no and not gone. And 165,000 people wouldn't have gotten saved. But instead, we said no. In the midst of our storm, in the midst of our trial, we will trust in our Lord. And he will come through. Amen. Hallelujah. You can't go wrong trusting in Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Last thing I'm going to talk about tonight. If we're going to have great faith, great faith declares the impossible to become possible. Great faith declares the impossible to become possible. You see, your words have power. The Bible says the life and death are in the power of the tongue. And those who eat of it will receive its fruit. And so what you have to do is you have to, you have to declare a thing. The Bible says in Job, I think it's Job chapter 20. Job twenty two twenty eight. you will also declare a thing and it will be established for you. When you speak, your words have power. And if you don't think so, start speaking death over your children and see what happens. No, don't actually do that, please. Start speaking life over your children and see what happens, amen. You can, see it, you can see it many times, people that speak death over their children, speak, people that are always telling them, oh, you're stupid, you're nothing, you'll never be good for nothing. You can see their faith starts to go down. But when you say, you're, you're amazing, you're awesome, God's got a great plan for your life, he's going to use you, you're, you're going to be used of God, he's going to do incredible things through your life, all of a sudden you see them start to stand up in faith. My dad thinks I'm amazing. My dad thinks I'm awesome. My dad, and you could say, well, Chris, I didn't have a father like that. Well, praise the Lord, you have a heavenly father that's like that. When he looks at you, he says, I don't care what man has spoken over you. I don't care what your earthly father said about you. I think you're awesome. I think you're amazing. I'm going to use you. I'm going to take your life and make it a blessing, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you to bring glory to me. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what anyone's spoken over you. God says he loves you. God said he's going to use you. You say, Chris, I'm a mess. I've messed up so bad. My friend, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. He loves you still. He says, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use that one and that one and that one. And you say, but I'm not qualified. Neither am I. Hallelujah. I got a C in public speaking in high school. I never thought in a million years I'd be doing what I'm doing right now. But I said yes. That's all I did. That's the only difference between somebody who does something for the Lord and somebody who doesn't. It's just your yes. You say yes to God. God, use me. God, save me. God, use me. Your words have power and when you declare a thing it will be established I love the 4th of July one of my one of my favorite holidays actually I love all of them because you don't have to work amen even as an evangelist sometimes you want a day off amen praise the Lord and uh, and so I love the 4th of July though I love getting together doing barbecues 
you know, burgers on the grill, all of these type of things, celebrating our Independence Day, amen? And, you know, I love that. We celebrate our Independence Day. We have flags, and we go watch fireworks, and we do all of these things. But I never really put it together. I guess I'm sure I learned it in school, but I never really thought about it. I guess subconsciously, I always thought when we celebrate Independence Day, it was the day that we won the war, the Revolutionary War. July 4th, 1776. I just always, I guess, subconsciously assumed that was the day we won the war. But how many of you know that's actually not the day we won the war of uh, the war, the Revolutionary War? We actually won the war seven years later on September 3rd, 1783. So why do we celebrate July 4th, 1776? I'm thinking to myself, why don't we celebrate September 3rd, 1783? That was the day we got the victory. Because our forefathers realized something. You see, faith doesn't come when you win the battle. You don't need faith when you've already won the battle. You need faith before you ever go into battle. And you see, something happened that day on July 4th, 1776. Our forefathers knew, today we're going to declare independence. Today we're going to declare that we're no longer part of Great Britain. Today we're going to declare that, and a war is going to ensue. And that war lasted seven years. It was one of the bloodiest wars in the history of America. And they knew that a war was going to come, a storm was going to come. But that day, they said... Basically, in the name of Jesus, we're not going to live underneath your tyranny anymore. And that day, they declared something. The Congress got together. The 13 colonies came together. And they voted right there in Pennsylvania that this day, we declare we are independent from you. And that was the day we celebrate. Why? Because something happens the moment you declare something with your mouth. And I want to tell you something. Maybe you're going through a storm right now. Maybe you're about to go through a storm in your life. I want to tell you today can be your day of declaration, your day of independence. Amen. Today you can say, I'm done with that thing. I'm done with that sickness in the name of Jesus. Today I declare is my day of independence from whatever storm I'm going through. Hallelujah. Maybe you're in a financial storm. Maybe you're in a sickness storm. Maybe you're in some kind of storm in your family and relationship. Today I declare, I decree and declare by the Spirit of God, today is going to be your Independence Day. Today is your day of victory in the name of Jesus. If you believe that, shout, declare, shout it with your mouth, amen. Today is your day of uh, of victory in Jesus' name. When you declare something with your mouth, it will be established in Jesus' name. And that's why the Bible declares one of the most important things. If I could have somebody come play keys. One of the greatest things you declare with your mouth is your salvation. Paul said... That if you'll confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. You see, salvation has to happen first by faith, if you believe. Second, 
because you confess it. Today, maybe you've been going through a crazy storm in life. Maybe you've been in a storm. Maybe you have a storm going on right now. You don't know Jesus. You've never put your faith in Jesus like that. You say, Chris, well, I, I think I'm a Christian. But my friends, just saying you're a Christian doesn't mean you're a Christian. God wants more than just words. He wants real faith. Faith that actually steps out and lives it out. Amen. You can declare something. You could just say, well, I believe we're going we're gonna to win the Super Bowl this year. But if you don't put in the work, if you don't actually put your faith to work, it'll never work. It'll never happen. Amen. So just saying you're a Christian doesn't mean you're saved. There comes a moment where you have to say, God, I'm done living for me. I'm all in for you. And I want to give you an opportunity tonight to come to Jesus. Remember, the first most important part of having faith is putting your faith in Jesus. He's the author of faith. He's the one that created faith. He is the author of your soul. He's the one who created you. He knows everything about you. He knows every hair on the top of your head. As a matter of fact, the Bible says God has every hair on your head numbered. Some of you, it's easier to count than others. Hallelujah. But he knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. He knows where you lay your head down at night to go to sleep. He knows everything you've done, good, bad, and in between. And yet, he said, I love you. He said, I'm going to die for you. He said, I'll go to the cross. You see, the Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. Every one of us, from the greatest pastor to the youngest child, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And the Bible says that our sin will cause us to be separated from Him. He's, the Bible says that the wage of our sin, the penalty for our sin, is death. It's eternal separation from God. Not because God is like, I'm going to punish you forever, but because He's holy. He's perfect. There's no sin in God. And we are of a different nature. We're not of the same nature. It's like if you take oil and you pour it into a glass of water, you can shake it up all day. There's two different natures. They will never come together in perfect union. They will always separate. Our sinful state, we are of a different nature than God. He is holy. But he said, I love you so much. I don't want you to be separated from me. I love you so much. I will pay the ultimate price. I'll give my only son, my only begotten son, the one who is perfect. He's never sinned, but he's going to come. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to live a holy life. He's not going to die. He's not going to deserve to die, but he's going to die in your place anyway. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ took our sin upon himself on the cross. He died in your place. He died in my place. 
And the Bible teaches us that he went to hell for three days. And after three days, God rose him from the dead. You see, he went to hell for you. He paid the penalty for you. He did the time for you. And God rose him from the dead. And because he did the time, and because he lives, you can live also. And that's why when you come to Jesus, when you come to him for real, he'll take your life and he'll make it brand new. He doesn't just want to tune you up a little bit. No, he wants to give you a new life. Maybe you say, Chris, my life sucks. Sorry for using real words, but that's what real people are going through. And I guarantee you, there's people in, the world, in this room right now that would say that about themselves. My life sucks. My life's terrible. I've done so many stupid things. God says, I love you no matter what you've done. I died in your place. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of your sin, he still said, I love you still. The people that pulled Jesus' beard out, the people that punched him, the people that whipped him, he died for them. And if he died for them, he died for you. And so today, I want to give you an opportunity. Maybe you say, Chris, I don't deserve this Jesus. But let me tell you, he's already made the way for you. He's already done the work for you. He's already done the time. And all he says is, I want you. I want you. You and you and you. I want all of you. And that's why he went to the cross. You see, when God created the world, it cost him nothing. He didn't even lose a drop of sweat creating the entire world. Not one drop of sweat. But when it comes to saving your soul, he lost every drop of his own blood. He paid the ultimate price to save you. That's because he loves you. And right now he says, Chris, he doesn't say Chris, but maybe your name's Chris. But right now he says to you, will you accept me? Will you accept this free gift I'm giving you? I'm giving you a gift. Will you accept it? Will you receive it? I'm giving it to you right now. I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you, you, you. Some of you have already received it. Some of you have never received it. Right now, if you want Jesus to save you, if you want him to forgive you, if you say, Chris, I don't know. If I died right now, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. Right now, I want you to do something. If that's you, I just want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. If that's you and you want Jesus to save you you want Jesus to forgive you of your sin you say Chris I need Jesus I need him so bad on the count of three if that's you I want you to lift your hand one, two, three if that's you just put your hand up with every head bowed every eye closed yeah I see those hands in the back I see those hands in the middle if that's you right now you want Jesus to forgive you you know tonight if you died you're not sure would I go to heaven or would I go to hell God says receive my gift I want to give it to you. If you want that, lift your hand to heaven. Ask him to save you.